In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to episode 47 of the Feelin' Film podcast. This week, we are taking a break from movie reviews to discuss recent film awards. Patrick can't be with us, so joining me this week for our Oscar and Feeler's Choice reactions are the newest writing contributors to the Feelin' Film podcast website, Steve Clifton and Don Shanahan, film critic at EveryMovieHasALesson.com and director of the Chicago Independent Film Critics Circle. Welcome, guys. I am so excited to have you with me this week. Thank you. Yes, thanks for having us. Absolutely. I mean, I you know, it's great of you guys to be able to jump in kind of at at a late minute notice here. I think we were talking about it during the Oscars and Patrick had a family emergency and couldn't come and this is an awesome opportunity to tie in the fact that you guys have been doing some writing stuff with us um with the actual audio part of the podcast. So, Don, why don't you just tell us I mean, I just mentioned you have a blog and you are a credentialed film critic which i'm incredibly jealous of but why don't you tell us uh, about your work and what you do uh sure uh, my blog is everymoviehasalesson.com yeah my niche or kind of my little hook the way i write movie reviews is um i'm a school teacher by day an elementary school teacher so uh my little lessons are my uh reviews are tagged with life lessons in mind at the end where uh with like the title of the website says every movie has a lesson so i'll review and critique a film but at the end i'll kind of put little nuggets in the end of what you can learn and they could be serious or they can be farcical but they kind of always kind of it's kind of a challenge my readership always tells me like oh darn you're you're never going to find something to learn from this movie i'm like yeah right i can find something and everything um so that's kind of my niche and my thing um uh, when I first started the blog about uh, seven years ago, um, I also landed into uh, writing for Examiner.com. So that's where I was able to kind of gain some press credentials over the years. Um, Examiner actually closed up last July after I don't know how many years that site was open. But it was nice to be the Chicago film examiner for a good time there. Um, I've been able to kind of keep press credentials pretty solid for the last two years. And uh, it has enabled me to just have wonderful access to um, things early and ahead and uh, – it, it's it's cushy. It's nice. I'm not standing in uh, advanced screening ticket go fumble lines for two hours. Um, I get to see things ahead. Uh, sit in press rows with the Chicago guys you see on television, like Richard Roper and Michael Phillips from the Tribune and all that. And it's it's nice to call them peers and colleagues and and kind of have that little uh, I don't know big city scene a little bit. I live in the burbs, so it, and and again, I'm a school teacher by day, so it's not like I'm a full timer. And uh, but it's nice to kind of have equal access and do that sort of thing. About a year ago, some of us uh, more smaller-level critics here in Chicago uh, started a second film critics association in town. Uh, the Chicago Film Critics Association's uh, long been established for over 30 years, and they're kind of the they're they're, they're the rightful bigwigs. They're the guys who've been doing uh, print and hardcore journalism for a long time. But there's a lot of us out there who are kind of new media and new medium, and so there's a lot of bloggers, a lot of podcasters, a lot of video essayists, a lot of. Uh, more uh, minority and uh, and female film critics that don't get a lot of representation from kind of 
the old guard. So um, a couple of us started, myself included, the Chicago Independent Film Critics Circle. Um, we just celebrated our first year in, in uh, existence. Uh, we, are, we got recognized in town from our PR agencies as an awards voting body. So um, we had our own film awards in early January, which were our attempt to kind of do something a little different and, and kind of match a little bit of independent spirit award kind of criteria. So, um, but that has been wonderful to kind of give us different um, uh, access that way too, and to kind of champion independent film in one end, but also represent kind of more independent and independent-minded critics. So, to be able to do the award screeners and see things early and all that has been has been a true blessing and something that has kind of elevated this from what was a hobby as the guy who kind of did it in college and high school and his local newspapers, like a lot of us did. To something that is, uh, you know, I wish it paid the bills, but, we, you know, as in any bill, <laughs> but it's kind <laughs> yeah. of a fun uh, second passion and job here. You know, it, um, I still do it for free, but it, it's a blast and it's just nice to, I don't know, see things free and see things early. Yeah, I'm I'm jealous, man. I, I still sit in those uh, GoPobo lines for two or three hours in advance uh, just to make sure that I make it and have a seat. So one oh, day I don't miss that. One day I'll reach your your uh, your level. So you you saw Logan, right? We were just talking about this off air. I, I saw Logan about a. I'm gonna. It's like a humble brag at this moment. I saw it about a week and a half ago, uh, the day before the press embargo lifted. And uh, I know you guys have a show coming up, and it is phenomenal. Enjoy when you get there. Awesome. So listeners, that's our next episode. Is Logan coming next week? So you have a couple of days of knowledge here. You need to go see it this weekend. It's worth it, apparently, according to Don. Uh, no doubt he's right. Steve, what about you, man? What, what, uh, Seriously? what's your I'm history? Supposed to follow, <laughs> I know I should have made you go first, right? <laughs> Don, Don is bonafide. I am far less impressive. <laughs> That's all I'm going to tell you. Uh, no, I, you know, I, I, I saw that there was a need on the internet. I took up the mantle of the middle-aged fat guy from Maine perspective is pretty much, <laughs> pretty much where I'm at. Um, you know, I do have a blog. I've blogged for, for many years. I'm, I'm writing now on popcornconfessional.com, not nearly as often as I'd like to, because uh, like Don, you know, it's, it's well, for me at this point, it's, it's a hobby and, and life gets in the way plenty. Um, you know, I have a little podcast experience in my background, um, did that for a few years and, you know, said pretty much everything I needed to say there. Um, I mean, but at the end of the day, you know what, I'm just a, I'm just a movie nerd is really all it is. I've, I've, I've been going to movies since I was a wee little lad and just at some point, and I, and I can't really place it, but at some point it became less of, hey, let's just go to the movies for something to do. And, and then it, it turned into, hey, there's 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 meaning behind a lot of these movies. There's, there's These movies are saying things to me now that they weren't saying in the past. Um, and and, and I, I just started started trying to critically read into movies and, and enjoy them from a, from a critical perspective. Um, and, and that's just sort of, it's sort of transitioned into the hobby of getting into the blogs and the podcast and, and, and talking the Oscars is just something I've been passionate about for, for many years. And, and I appreciate the opportunity to come on here today and do that with you guys. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy to have you. And that middle-aged fat guy from Maine perspective is an important one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That is a starving demographic. <laughs> Very nice. Absolutely. We love puns. There's nothing on. else to do here. It's snowing and, you know. I love that you said, you know, you got your start as a movie nerd because I'm sure Don can agree with me. We all got our start as movie nerds, right? Oh, like yeah. That's, yeah. Absolutely. That's what got us here. And, and I think um, that's, that's the beauty of keeping this podcast particularly. We try to 
keep it that way, you know, in, in a sense versus ever letting it get too pretentious. <laughs> and, sure. and, and I, I admit I count as a late bloomer. Um, I'm, I'm a gravel road. I know I live in Chicago now, but, um, I'm, um, I'm a gravel road farm kid who used to milk cows. So I never had cable television until I went to college. Oh, wow. Um, I never saw Turner classic movies until I went to college. So unless it was at the local video store or I saw it on my own in the, you know, the typical multiplex in high school, I I came to this late and then all of a sudden it was just that 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 splash of whoa there's so much out there and it's so good I need to just absorb a zillion you know pounds of it so yeah it's oh yeah movie nerd first for sure yep awesome well guys before we jump into the discussion I do have a couple brief announcements let me get those out of the way just this past week Feel and Film launched on a website called Patreon that allows listeners to support the podcast with a small monthly donation and receive access to bonus content and other rewards. We've kept our subscription levels way low, uh, and there's already two bonus episodes there waiting for you. We're incredibly thankful for our first group of subscribers, so I want to give a shout-out to those five people, and they are Chad Hopkins of the Cinescope podcast, friend of the show and and guest host, Uh, Jeremy Calsara, forgive me if I butcher you guys' names, uh, Matthew McDougall, Dean with LSG Media of the Science Fiction Film Podcast, one of my podcasting mentors, a great show that I recommend you guys check out, and Meredith Mateo. So if you are interested in supporting the show, please check out patreon.com slash film. Uh, there's more details there. $2 minimum, or $2 is the minimum that gets you the bonus content. That's like half of a latte for the for the, a month. So hopefully that's something that is affordable enough and interesting enough that some of you will be interested in and it will help us pay the bills and keep producing content. It is also time for us to announce this season's latest Feel and Film Fantasy Movie League winner. And that is David Hammock, who actually is a podcaster himself. Uh, he hosts a podcast called the Unwritten Fools Podcast. Uh, he is our champion. And he takes home the bragging rights and the Fandango gift card for this session. The next season starts immediately. So if you're listening to this on podcast episode release week uh, and you want to play along, go to fantasymovieleague.com slash group. And then our number is slash 4710. You might be able to just Google Feelin' Film Fantasy Movie League. I'm, I'm actually not sure. Uh, the password for the group is the word positive in all lowercase. And uh, yeah, get in there before Friday of release week for this episode. Uh, that's when the first picks lock. And you, you really, to be honest, uh, you can't be competitive in this game unless you make picks every single week. Um, but you want to get in there try your hand start learning how it goes and then by the second season that you're participating you probably will have a shot to be competitive so yeah come join the movie league and uh, get a chance to win a gift card um that's about it man so with all of that out of the way i say we just get right into it and start hey, Aaron, talking can, it what's up can i just chime in here real quick because I, I didn't see anything in the notes about the the inaugural winner of the staff oscar poll uh, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I I, I have no knowledge of such a thing. You had a staff Oscar pool? I, I don't remember that, Dawn. Do you? I, I, I might have because I think my evil twin Frank said, hey, guys, we should have an Oscar pool. Put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, it was my dumb idea. Well, that didn't go well for you and I, but Steve, go ahead. Well, 
But my my picks were nothing to write home at about this year either. So, you know, it, yes, it was a well, bad year for us all. It's just one of us. <laughs> oh yeah, one of us sucked, one sucked, one sucked of us worse were. than the rest, or or better than the rest. Um, I've been my best is my best in the six years I've been doing it is um twenty twenty out of twenty four. I felt like I was a million bucks, but I had twenty two one year. Woo! Twenty years ago, nice when, when it was a lot more predictable. Than yeah. These days. Yeah, yeah. These are definitely not predictable, but honestly, I'm glad you mentioned that. Congrats, Steve. We did have a we did have a first ever staff Oscar pool. Steve took the cake. Um, he also won the tiebreaker. He 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 let us know about that. So <laughs> even if there had been a tiebreaker, Steve would have won it. Um, we're all shaking our heads because we just had one of our worst years ever, like we were talking about. But it was a lot of fun and uh, definitely something we'll be doing in the future. But like you said, why was it hard this year? Because these awards were cray cray they were not they were not what we thought they were going to be guys so somebody jump in i want to hear i guess what you guys like what was your overview of the show and and let me preface all of this by saying we're going to just not talk about the ending yet okay we're going to save the ending to talk about a little bit later so what is when i say what is your overview of the show i mean what is your overview of everything except the last like three minutes i can Mm -hmm. hop in if you want steve sure go ahead uh, no, uh, what I saw was um, a place where you can tell, you know, kind of some climates and some winds shifted between nominations time and uh, voting time. I'm I'm that kind of guy. I have a little sub uh, shameless plug. Um, I have a little sub page on my website where um, it's kind of you know every movie has a lesson dot com slash awards tracker, and I'm that guy who thinks he can you know pay attention with the Sasha Stones and all the people on Twitter and and actually kind of chart all those minor awards of who wins what and what critics hoop and all that and um and a lot of times what helps me kind of rake when i kind of get to those you know artistic and technical awards is you follow the guilds who did the american society of cinematographers award you know you know more than 60 70 percent of the time those um specific guilds which is the majority of the voters in those categories tend to match eventually what wins in the oscars because that's usually a reasonable indicator but Man, you, you, uh, I, you know, I opened the night. I think maybe one out of five, where I'm like, "Geez, I can't even get these right." And I just, it just felt like little places where it's not that there wasn't data for it to be possible, so to speak, but just they just kind of took a different direction. A perfect example would be something like costume design with Fantastic Beasts. I know that's kind of a small, you know, kind of sample piece to it, but I think a lot of people said, you know, Jackie seemed to be a very obvious one in terms of taste, but Lyle Land might win there because it's kind of the bandwagon pick, but then all of a sudden here comes, you know, something that hasn't really won that much of anything, and it's, you know, they just decide to do the Harry Potter spinoff. I think you found a lot of just curveballs like that. It's not that Hacksaw Ridge couldn't have good sound editing or sound mixing, and I know it won for sound mixing, um, but it just kind of out of nowhere, you know, I think a lot of people expected either a bandwagon vote for, for La, La Land or just a place where, I don't know, I think, I don't know if there was another alternative place it would have went. I think the, it, it was, I think a lot of people expected La, La Land to hit 10, you know, 10 wins and it came out with seven, which was fine. But just, you know, without talking about the ending, I think we saw little places where backlash happened. And when people look at that backlash and see, Hacksaw Ridge, the, you know, scary Mel Gibson, you know, maybe borderline right wing war movie, anti-Semitic Mel Gibson making crazy war epics, killing all kinds of people. People think, oh, is that the voice we're going to say for this progressive Oscar, you know, telecast this year instead of the happy Hollywood movie? So I don't know. I think people were reading messages where maybe there weren't messages to read. 
Yeah, I you know like you, Don. I I, I spend a lot of time in the, in the couple of months leading up to the Oscars on on Gold Derby. You know, watching all the videos there, listening to see see what Tom O'Neill's saying, what's Ann Thompson, what all these guys are saying. And what I learned this year is they don't know a thing more than I do. <laughs> to be honest with you, all of that and 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 uh, I I'd, I'd like to see them. I'd like to see anybody on that site that had more than sixteen or seventeen right. Um, it, and like you, early on, I was just I was taking it on the chin, and, and I was I was getting concerned for for La La Land's chances as the as the night progressed. Um, and then when Suicide Squad took makeup and hairstyling, I I was about ready to just turn it off and go to bed because I you know what, what what's that? Here's a critically panned movie. Who who is who's awarding this as one of the best of the year? In my in my mind, I I, I didn't hate Suicide Squad, but it, it, it didn't feel like it deserved any accolade here, um, and, and it just proved that that, that anything anything is going to happen here. To your point, you know, and I know we'll talk about it a little bit later, uh, a little more in depth. Um, th- there definitely is a shifting wind in Hollywood. Um, we definitely saw a, a lot bigger impact from the Oscar So White, um, and that showed throughout the night. Um, but some of these smaller awards that, that you don't really give a lot of thought to, they were just all over the place. And, and I, I can't pinpoint what drove people to to pick certain things. I, I, I'm, I half believe that, that these people don't even watch half these things. So how they come to these conclusions is, is, is baffling to me. Overall, I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed the ceremony. Uh, I thought Kimmel did, I thought Kimmel did a fantastic job. Um, you know, some some things like like all things don't don't land. But I thought a lot of the things he did was uh, was quite funny. Um, and, and I don't know if we want to really get into a, a big Kimmel discussion at this point. Um, but just at, at a high level, I enjoyed Kimmel, and and I would like to uh, I'd like to see him do it again or have another shot at it. Yeah, I I actually agree with you there. I I really enjoyed Kimmel as well, and I thought he was a a, a nice touch. I thought that his his uh, political <laughs> um, uh, mentions were were very subtle this time around. You knew, was, they, were, you knew they were coming, right? You knew they were coming, and but they were they were done in a very tasteful manner, I guess. You know, I mean, the Oscars have a tendency to really overblow stuff, and I thought that he kept it quick and simple, and the jokes were there, and then they were done. Um, they didn't linger for a long time. And I just thought well, I, I did a great job. No, I didn't mean to step on you there. I, I, so what I, what I thought about Kimmel was that he stayed he stayed really within his wheelhouse. It was like one big giant Kimmel episode. So so he's talking about mean tweets and the gags he does, and, the, and he played the Matt Damon thing to death last night. He even had Guillermo there from his from his regular show escorting people in and out. So he had a lot of familiarity, um, you know, things that he does does every night of the week to play off of there. I definitely saw, I thought I saw a lot more of him as a host than you've seen of hosts in the recent past. Usually it was like, you had the monologue, a couple of things up front and then, then the host would disappear for two and a half hours and you wouldn't even see them again. Um, but Kim, uh, Kimmel seemed to be on there a lot last night. You know, I'll be the one that stands in and says, 
I was kind of cool on Kimmel. I mean, I like Kimmel and his bits and what he can do when it's the Kimmel show. But I don't know. I think a good host on the Oscars can bring comedy, but then also bring levity to the moment. You know, I think a lot of times when we bring these, you know, these talk show hosts on, because we've had, he's not the first one we've had on there, where it's kind of, I know that's the way you said it, that he was in kind of his wheelhouse and all that. But I don't know. I think when you have, Hollywood's biggest night and you have the Oscars. I want more than just a talk show host wheelhouse. You know, can it, can it, and I go back to, I know it's, you know, the easiest guy to go back to, but I go back to Billy Crystal all the time where you have a guy who can embrace the comedy, but when necessary, because of what we're watching is being, you know, historic career making moments. You have a guy who, when necessary, can embrace those moments and bring a little levity, bring a little, um, I, I'm not saying he's like Bob Costas at the Olympics, but can can put seriousness to a serious moment when necessary. And Kimmel, to me, can't do that. He it, it was he's he just leans back in his wise wisecracks. He leans back in his bits, and they work when they're bits. But when I don't know, I just I'm I, I've been underwhelmed for the last decade on on Oscar hosts personally, where I haven't seen a good one who can who can kind of hit that next note of not just being funny and affable, but big enough for the moment maybe maybe hugh jackman just because he is a song and dance guy who is still an actor and still very respectful and, and something that you know is a, a, he's a consummate showman more than just the guy who has good monologues and mean tweets so i i don't know i was i'll be the one guy who was cool on kimmel it's too bad no, pa- I, I, too bad patrick's not here because uh if you were recommending hugh jackman i guarantee you he would be giving you a, a solid two thumbs up for that yeah, I, I I agree with what you're saying there. I think a lot of what you've seen lately is is the Oscars attempting to appeal more to that to that younger millennial generation. They're trying to be less stuffy, so they're bringing on Kimmel's and Ellen DeGeneres and and uh, Chris Rock. You know, some, I think they're leaning more heavily into the comedy. They're leaning more into trying to make these celebrities more. I don't know, seem more human for lack of a better term. I mean, bringing in the, the people from the sure. bus outside Ellen and the, and the pizza and all that stuff. They're, they're just, they're, they're trying to shift that focus away from just stuffy old white men to, I get it. Hey, you know, we're yeah. cool too. <laughs> you know, and I, and I think that's where you're getting these types of hosts. I'd love to see Justin Timberlake have a shot. at. Oh person. man. Yes. <laughs> now you're talking. Yeah. I, you know, I, I agree. I like to see a guy who can do both because I know both can be done. You know, can be levity, can can be light, but then still be regal enough to fit that scene. Yeah, yep. for sure. I, I, you know, I I love the I like the pizza thing, and and I liked the idea of the tour idea that they did last night. It, it, the execution of them always kind of falls short of the promise. You know, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you just it just doesn't end up being as funny <laughs> you know it's funny for like the first person that gets to meet a celebrity and then after that it just kind of falls apart um but right. it, it is very much it does feel very much like we know the world is watching us we're here in our very expensive dresses and our very expensive clothes and we are getting gifts and and even if it's just candy coming from the ceiling i mean it's an indicator you know these people are getting like oscar oscar grab bags you know these are the richest of the rich and they're getting well, they're not the richest of the rich, but they're very wealthy and they're they're getting pre- prizes, right? While we're watching them celebrate themselves. And it's like kind of like an attention distractor. Like we need to take some of that away. Um and, and I prefer just seeing them enjoy each other's company to be honest. I loved the opening with JT. I loved him going out into the crowd and he's there and he's like dancing 
and kissing his wife, you know? And I mean, first of all, I love JT and Jessica Biel. I just, I think JT is an incredibly like down to earth, real human being, <laughs> you know, like he is just a good person. And, I agree with that. And so he's, he's a joy to watch, but like, I like seeing them celebrate and, and hang out and, and, and because they know each other, they're friends. It's like you and I, if we were at our workplace, I'm sure Don has teachers that he hangs out with in the staff lounge. It's, it's, it's if they were an award ceremony together, you know, they'd be celebrating each break, other. Break out into song and dance in the office. <laughs> well, is that why, is that why the Golden Globes, I know the awards are kind of crappier because it's from a different agency and they're, they're less believable and they're more of a popular contest. But as a show, isn't that why the Golden Globes is a lot more fun? Because we watch them drink and hang out and, and so you know, the alcohol and all that, you know? It is. Is that, to me, that's more fun show. Uh, it's better awards, in my, my opinion. But that's, uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> it, after this year, it makes me think that. Um, so, all right. Well, I enjoyed it overall uh, as well, even with the, the Shockers. I had a good time with the show for the most part. Um, and I thought it was a pretty pretty good production. Um, sets were nice, etc. So let's move and get into our first set of awards here. Let's talk about some of the technical categories. Um, we have the winners that shocked us, right? So we, we none of us were expecting um, Hacksaw to win mixing. I think we all were on Hacksaw for editing. Very much so. Yep. I even, was. Even the Feeler's Choice Award went to Hacksaw Ridge for editing. So, I mean, everybody thought that that was going to Hacksaw. And that ended up going to Arrival, which I'll tell you guys, I rewatched Arrival this morning and kind of paid attention to that. I got no problem with it. I, you know, I, I don't mind. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mind it. Um, the mixing, I believe we all we were all expecting that to go to La La Land, if I'm yep. correctly. Yeah. Um, anybody have any big thoughts on, I guess any, any of the technical categories, Don, maybe you want to lead off on that because I know, uh, with your awards tracking, you've tracked all of the guilds specifics. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I, like you said, I was on a la la land for sound mixing cause the cinema audio society, which is the biggest guild of sound editors, you know, named it as top awards. So I'm like, that's going to be the one, you know? And, and I just figured that's, you know, that's a place where it's going to land. Um, Maybe an, I'm no just to kind of do a general trend. Um, one place that kind of had a few wins that matched more than usual that I didn't see coming was the um, the BAFTAs from Britain. Um, a lot of BAFTA winners that are in the technical categories ed, ended up kind of mirroring and matching the Oscars. I, I mean, Arrival won sound editing in the BAFTAs. Um, huh. I know there's another BAFTA match in here with um, the Jungle Book and visual effects, even though that one was a little bit more expected, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I know the Baptist still kind of didn't match you know, things like costume design. I know Dev Patel won supporting actor and all that, but um, the Baptist had Hacksaw Ridge at film editing, which I think a lot of people figured that was going to go to La La Land as well. Um, the American, you know, uh, Cinema Editors Group Ace, um, they pointed their, you know, their their awards to La La Land. So for Hacksaw Ridge to be, you know, to win the Oscar and then kind of have that BAFTA in his back pocket from two weeks ago that, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, it's made me start to pay attention more to the BAFTA. That's for sure. Um, I tell you what, if there's one technical or artistic award, I thought was kind of undeserved. Um, and I knew it was going to be undeserved because even the guild gave it to it. But I'm like, you know what, when you think of that movie, you don't think production design was um, La La Land. You know, I think La La Land is a better film more for, really good location scouting that it is for something like production design where maybe that's something I know is a terrible film, but um, 
I mean, Passengers was was outstanding for production design because those are, um, you know, full built, full size physical sets in, in a very fantastical yet opulent kind of setting. Wait, 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 um, wait! You're telling me that's not a real spaceship? It's not a real spaceship. Although oh my it's, gosh! Because maybe we would have lost Jennifer Lawrence for a while, and that would be okay for. I mean, because oh. I can live without them for ninety years. Shots fired. Um, yeah. yeah. But um, no. If there's um, to me, a better production design uh, winner could have been something like Jackie, where um, they you know shot entirely in France, but you would never know it that they couldn't recreate a lot of you know either in- interiors for the White House or good exteriors that could pass for Virginia and all that. Um, where yeah, if there's La La Land, just picked really cool trendy places in L.A. and maybe a couple of you know fake movie sets that were made to look like fake movie sets. And I I don't know. I just wasn't impressed by that one technical category, but I knew it was going to win and it did win. Yeah. I took more of a historical approach to, um, a lot of the technical, uh, categories. Uh, and I, and I think I quoted in the article when I was looking at mixing sound mixing and sound editing, uh, when you look back to 2003, I, musicals just seem to align themselves well with the sound mixing categories as Chicago did back in 2003. But then the editing one seems it traditionally seems to go to that that louder uh, action-packed flick. Um, so Hacksaw Ridge just seemed like like the natural fit there. And then when Hacksaw Ridge takes mixing, I immediately assumed that they were going to take editing as well. And then Arrival comes up, and I'm like, all right, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm talking about <laughs> at this point. <laughs> um, you know, it, production design, uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but, man, I love La La Land too much. I'm 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 too biased on that one. <laughs> I mean, yeah. hey, I love it too. It was my number one on my ten best list. But it, like I said, if I was just counting awards and spreading the wealth, it just felt like the one place where it just wasn't the best. You know, that level right. of strategy. Yeah, I, I, I would agree actually, and I, I don't I don't think it was necessarily a, a blow your mind out of the water production value either. Um, I I do enjoy it, and I think that it's vibrant colors and it's it's um yeah i don't know it's naturalistic sets versus it's it's creative dreamlike sets those are the right. ones that really were the ones that i was yeah. locked in on yeah like it, it won its oscar for that last eight minute epilogue right you know that's where it won i agree with that and then film editing um uh, i i was under the impression that the winner of film editing often translates towards best picture. And then when Hacksaw Ridge took took that, and it's not, it's not like it's, you know, nine out of 10, but, but I think the majority of films traditionally that that have taken film editing do tend to go on to best picture. Um, You know, Hacksaw Ridge won that. um, um, My first impression was, Oh my God! They're not. They're, they're, there's no way we're going to get that level of surprise in the end. It just, it just can't. So, and that's when, and that's when my faith in La La Land going all the way started to wane. Is when Hacksaw Ridge took film editing. You know, I've actually done the research on this one. Um, it used film editing matching the best picture. You're right. It was for a long time. It was better than sixty percent as a match to best picture. Um, but six of the last seven years and the last four straight, it's gone to something completely different, including Hacksaw Ridge this year. So I feel like it's fading as an indicator. And I think the reason why is because I think the craft of it is becoming something more mainstream is not the word, but just recognized or, or diverse. 
and I don't mean diverse in terms of demographics, but just the idea that we, we notice editing more because there's more editing tools maybe available out there or there's more ways to make a movie look good than just being the one that matches, you know, a particular best picture kind of thing. So with those long, you know, with those single t- long takes in La La Land, I'm like, oh my gosh, give it, you know, that's edit. You know, I know those are long takes, but to be able to get them and then weave them together and then coordinate all that, that was my editing winner there. And But I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm willing to put that because I've heard the same thing. I'm willing to put that stat to bed at least until the trend switches where editing is going to match best picture. But for, for a moment there, I had that same hiccup where I'm like, they're not going to give this to Hacksaw Ridge. No way. You know, no, right. to me, to me, Hacksaw Ridge was the weakest of all the best picture nominees, period, by a, by a country mile. It was a two star out of five film for me. It was it was just a piece of crap. Wow. Yeah. I said that out loud. Yeah. You know, I. I, I I, I love the last part of Hacksaw Ridge, and I I don't sure. mind the I don't even mind the whole movie. I like the movie, but I I mean it just recently got pushed out of my top twenty by by seeing a couple films this week. But um, yeah, it, for me, film editing was no brainer for La La Land, and that was when I freaked out. I don't you know I I was I was visibly like worried, like you were, Steve. I was like, I mean, not, I wasn't worried. Obviously, like the Hacksaw was going to win Best Picture. I, I didn't think that there was any chance of that, but I was it concerned me that if they weren't going to pick La La Land for film editing, what else weren't they? And I remember us talking about it. Uh, we were all chatting during the Oscars, and Don was trying to calm me down. <laughs> you just say patience, patience. You just say patience, give it time. Yeah. yeah, so, um, you know, but, I, I think maybe they just didn't want to sweep it. I, I mean, they didn't want to do that. I think that was part of it, but who knows? And you know what? There's a trend there, too, because you brought up, you know, traditionally and historically – and a lot of other things have been changing. I don't think you can go on history anymore. You look, it used to be that best director automatically went with best picture. And I think what, once in the last four years, Inuritu with right. Birdman was the only one um, in the last four or five years that. Yeah. Picture I felt like that diversion started with, I felt like that diversion started, I think like, was it 2000 where, um, Stephen, I think it was Aaron Brockovich or, or Traffic was in there, and it just, it, yeah. And then this century, that indicator's blown out the window too. Yeah, I think they're really trying to spread the wealth. To be honest, it's you know, you look at these awards, and and it, it just looks like they're just not gonna do the sweeps anymore. Um, and you know what? It, it laid out pretty decent too. Like when consensusly, maybe not in this group here, but consensusly, the three films that most people put the highest esteem towards were La La Land, Moonlight, and Manchester by the Sea, at least in terms of when you put performances and writing all together. And you know what? Until you got to the end, and I'm not trying to skip this all the way to the end, but everyone got their spot. You know, Damien Chazelle wins Best Director. Barry Jenkins rightfully wins a screenplay award. Kenneth Lonergan rightfully wins a screenplay award. And you're like, all right, perfect. They spread the wealth. Sure enough, some things are going to get doubled up for Best Picture, but by that point, you're like, Hey, at least everybody got theirs. Maybe you, some people out there hope for more arrival to get theirs, but once they kind of move those screenplay categories where uh, Moonlight went from an original to an adapted, I knew Arrival had no shot there. But I mean, it, it they they did their job until they got to the end and you know kind of screwed it up. But well, they literally gave those three movies every single one of the major awards except for one, and Viola Davis just was not going to have that. So we can talk about that, but um, so that was the only one that they didn't win, and they were the clear second place in that race. You know, Manchester was so. Um, just to wrap up the technical categories here, 
makeup and hairstyling you mentioned earlier, I think Steve. We Ooh. we were Yeah, that's a big boo for me. I just you know I, I'm not saying there wasn't decent makeup. I just didn't like it. Maybe that's the problem. But I also feel like this was a year that was really weak for makeup overall. Even though I liked Star Trek Beyond and I thought it was a decent makeup job. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I it, think, nothing blew us out of the water. It was a popularity win. Yeah. It was Colleen Atwood. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a pro. So there's the that. other thing, Bob. Go ahead. Here's the other thing makeup and hairstyling is that that's the one of the few categories left that only has three nominees, and I will never get why. How I mean, I, even in a weak year, you can find five good movies to put in a category on, you know, what it takes, what, 15 more seconds to read two names on an Oscar telecast? That's not the place to shorten the telecast and go from there. I mean, there's you could get two more nominees and then maybe we're not talking about suicide squad or a obscure foreign film that's up there for nothing. And, and yeah, I, cause if you put two more nominees there, I mean, you're going towards, Oh man, I don't know. I mean, you can go Dr. Strange, you can go a couple places with makeup and all that. But to me, that's Bush league. Go, go, go full five nominees. Yeah. I, I feel you. Um, the other one, I think that we haven't talked anything about would be visual effects. And so jungle book, won that one. I think that was a pretty, pretty expected win. Um, I would not have been shocked have Dr. Strange pulled that out. My beef personally with Dr. Strange's effects while they are good is that it's basically inception all over again. And so it's been done before. Um, whereas jungle book is, is a little bit of a advancement on technique. The feelers choice actually went to rogue one. I feel uh, obligated to mention that since everyone that listens to our podcasts knows my personal opinions about Rogue One. So everybody now knows that Aaron did not influence the voting on the Feelers Choice Awards and Rogue One did win something. The funny thing about visual effects is Disney was going to win no matter what because they had, what, three of the five nominees underneath their shingle? So they did, yeah. Easily the top three considerations, which were Jungle Book, Doctor Strange, and Rogue One. So Disney was making out like a band no matter what. I was pulling for for Doctor Strange to, for exactly why you think it didn't win. I, you know, here's a movie, a Marvel movie, and it's got these Inception level effects, and I'm 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 impressed by it every time I've seen it. Um, that that should be the standard you are shooting for is the Inception level uh, effect. Um, but yeah, it, Jungle Book was was a predicted in uh, winner there, and and you know, I think we all got that one right. I think so. Yeah. Well, to, to to kind of put a wrap to the idea of these technical categories, because I know we're kind of either one of us is poo-pooing Rogue One or one of us is poo-pooing Suicide Squad. I don't know. I'll be the voice of reason that says, you know, um, hopefully, and I don't know if it's the case, but hopefully voters are looking at the craft of it, maybe not the film that it's in. Because I think I, I know we've seen movies out there over the past few years where there's really good artistic and technical work that just happens to be in a really crappy movie. You know, um, this is a really terrible example, but makeup and hairstyling 15 years ago, I'm giving it to the Nettie Professor and Eddie Murphy, you know, in that kind of award. For sure, for sure. So, I mean, for as much as we consider maybe Suicide Squad to be just overgrown cosplay, um, it was was decent. I don't think it's as good as, as making up alien races in Star Trek, but I get why these films can win and i and i get why i i mean i know we call them shockers and i know we call them surprises more from like a data standpoint but when you do step back and, and put away the, the crappiness of a certain film the work does hold up you know and yeah I, I don't know i think hopefully there's smart voters out there that are looking at the work 
like uh, the way I was poking, poking, you know, production design in La La Land, where I'm like, you know what, I'm looking at the work, the film's great, but that's not a spot where it deserves it. Maybe there's the hacksaw ridges of the world deserve it because when you blow up that many squibs, it sounds really darn good. Yeah. The the one there's one other one we'll talk about just real quick and then we'll we'll move on and that's so costume design. Steve, I, the feeler's choice went to Jackie, which uh, I was actually very happy about personally. Yeah. Um, the Oscar winner was <laughs> Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Uh, people were telling me uh, all over the web. People were saying, "I hope this doesn't go to La La Land because they wear clothes. They do nothing but just wear clothes. Like they're just clothes." Um, well, that's how I felt about Fantastic Beasts was they're just clothes. So what did you think about that one, Steve? Uh, well, I actually had picked Jackie in my regular Oscar pool. And I was I was kind of pulling for it because I was kind of going, well, traditionally, you know, Oscar's looking for that um, that period piece, you know, those those Victorian gowns, those elegant things like that. And it, it, we didn't really have that particularly this year. Maybe Florence Foster Jenkins a little bit more than others, but... Jackie to me felt a little bit more period, even though that period was, you know, pants, uh, you know, the presidential suits and things like that. Fantastic Beast, I, I think, where where you say, you know, there were just clothes. I, I think I think people may have looked at it and go, well, there was at least costumes in that, and and maybe they didn't look at Jackie as, you know, costumes in the traditional sense. Um, I, I'm glad it won the, the, the Feeler's Choice Award. Um, uh, I, I think it. I think it deserved the Oscar. But you know, Fantastic Beasts. You know, I, I think. I think a lot of voters are just like, eh, eh. There's costumes there. Let's vote for them. Don, what about you? Um, yeah, it seems like one of those places where the flashy has to win, which is strange because I, I'm normally, you know, I see what Steve sees where. It's the Victorian and traditional that wins and never, you know, a fantasy and genre film, which, in my opinion, you have way better costume design and, 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 and craft and work coming out of, say, a Star Trek film or even, let's be honest, a comic book film compared to just another cravat and frilly wig in, in a Victorian film. So I, I don't know. I feel like I, that Harry Potter is one of those period enough, Victorian enough movies with people of accents that even though it's a fantasy genre film, it might as well just be another, you know, uh, you know, Ivory Mar, you know, I James Ivory production or something like yeah. that. So. Well, my yeah. last, my last comment on the technical stuff, I feel that the Academy is making an effort to award blockbuster films in these categories. I feel like they are ignoring them in major categories. We, we talk about it all the time. Um, you know, how Rogue One, if it was good enough, or, you know, Force Awakens is not in the best picture race, things like that. Um, but these are the awards they're starting to give to those blockbusters that kind of sit in that they're good, but we're not, they're not, you know, pretentious enough to be nominated for our best awards. And I really think that that may be what we're seeing here. I will, I'm going to be looking at that as the years progress over the next few and kind of see if there's a trend there. That's a good thought. It's valid. Yeah, good, 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 good direction there. So let's go for short films. Let's let's discuss the three shorts real quick. Um, we got documentary, animated, and live action. None of these were Feeler's Choice votes, so so we don't have to worry about that. Any thoughts on the the three shorts? Anybody? Um, 
I um I did get to see thanks to good old fashioned press credentials. I did get to see all five animated short film nominees, and um, you knew the. I mean, I knew as soon as I saw it, the Pixar one was going to win in terms of just general voters. Um, if I had to. Uh, send a little shine on something that wasn't uh, a Pixar film. Um, I was rooting for Borrowed Time. That's a dark. Um, two, a couple of former Pixar employees kind of started off um, their own little shingle animation company, and and that little it, it it was how did I say it in my review? Um, it was it was proof that you can take Pixar level animation quality and put it on dark material, not just stuff like Up and Sunny Disney stuff. And that movie just cuts to the bone, and it just happens to look gorgeous. It was my uh, it was my pick time. too, Don. And and it, it you're right it it rocked me absolutely rocked mm. me. And I knew it had no chance, but man, I was gonna go nuts if it won. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the guy from Maine didn't see any of those. Uh, That's all right. So I just, I just leaned into the to the whole Pixar thing. You know, for for the first time uh, in a long time, or, or I don't know, when's the last time Pixar was not nominated for best animated picture? So I, I felt like they were definitely going to, you know, lean that way in the short. Um, and when in doubt, go with the animal. Oh, yeah. Well, I got to say, because he he really wanted to talk about this on the show, Patrick fell in love with Pearl. Now, Pearl Pearl's was a VR mm-hmm. short. It was the first one done in VR. It's by Google. And I haven't gotten to see it in VR, um, but I did watch it. And it's a story about a, a father and a daughter and, and various journey through vehicles and their lives and, and just transportation. It, it's really good. In fact, it really it's probably good. my second favorite, to be honest. It's right there with Piper for me. Um, but Patrick really adored that one. It was wholeheartedly his favorite pick. He was rooting hard for it, and he was sad that it didn't pull it out. But um, I'm urging everybody, you know, these are shorts are pretty good, and they're hard to find, I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> I hear the um, I hear they hit iTunes today. You okay, that all five nominated shorts hit iTunes today for people who are looking into you know throw a little buck rental or well, there we go. or find a, a download. I think check out iTunes. Yeah, so Pearl Pearl Piper and uh, Borrowed Time. What's the one we like? <laughs> Borrowed Time. Borrowed time. Th- those three for sure um, are worth checking out. Um, what about the other ones? What about you, Steve? What about documentary shorts or live action shorts? Do you see any of those? Uh, no, uh, I didn't get a chance to see any of the shorts this year. Um, I, I went the white helmets, um, for documentary short. Um, it seemed like the, the timely and relevant choice to go with, uh, especially with the, uh, um, the, was it the director that was, uh, banned? It was. Um, was, was he really, was he banned or was it more just a boycott or? No, no, he was, he couldn't, he couldn't make it because of the he couldn't travel make it. ban, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, and that along with the uh, um, foreign language film, both sort of uh, felt like uh, that's where the winds were were shifting to this year, mm-hmm. and and so I went with the white helmets about the the Syrian uh, rescuers, um, and, and it's not it, it, this is this is the this is the tricky thing about you know having commentary about these types of things because you don't want to you don't want to devalue these films they're, they're very worthy of being in there but you always have to wonder all right well is that the only reason they got it or do people really really find value in the films themselves did, did people really even watch the white helmets or are people just saying well that's about 
the Syrian, uh, the, the war in Syria and the travel ban and stuff. So I'm just going to pick that one by default. Um, and I, that, that's why I did. I just, because I assumed that's where the, the winds were shifting. I haven't seen it. It, it probably, it probably is worthy of winning. I, I don't know. Um, but I didn't see it, but, but I went with, with where I thought, thought they were going to go with it. Steve, I think you bring up a good point because, um, it's in these smaller, more um, nonfiction categories that uh, um, that political statements are more easily made because for I mean, I've seen the last several years, even just tracking, you know, doing the data thing, best foreign language film, you know, there's always a reasonable favorite every year that I see that starts to win the Critics Guild Awards and things like that or the Critics Group Awards that gets left out, either either not even nominated or can't even win. So, um and I know over in like, for example, in best foreign language film, the the um, the handmaid wasn't even from South Korea, wasn't even submitted by its own country. And then uh, I'm trying to think what got snubbed after it. I'm gonna get there in a second here. L. Um, it's L. L. Right. So L didn't even get nominated. So your your third place, you know, majority movie that most people have kind of raved about is Tony Erdman from Germany. But then as soon as the Trump travel ban came out. Um, but, Asgard or Hadi's film is gonna is gonna carry the, that wind of favor. We're like, oh yeah, to stick it to that guy, I'm gonna vote for this. Whether, again, whether they've even seen these films or even put a full digestion to them, I think people, at least the general voters that maybe make up a larger group than the specialized voters that are supposed to be in these categories, I think are picking topical before they pick quality. Um, I I agree with that because you know there, there's plenty of voters in the past on record that that say they don't even watch the the nominees for best picture of the year oh, but you my... know they're not seeking out the white helmets makes my no. blood boil yeah I, I i agree and i felt it was very obvious this year with both the salesman and the white helmets winning the two people who are in the news as not being able to attend due to trump and those right. are the ones that win and you know i will say i watched i think four out of the five shorts documentary shorts. I've really started to fall in love with the documentary category recently. Um, and my pick was the white helmets, like my favorite. And the one that I thought was the best was the white helmets or the most impactful. Now okay. there, there were several other very good ones. Um, but that was my pick. So I was okay with that one. The salesman, that one kind of bugged me a little more, uh, as right. far as that one goes. And then I think, can we just skip over live action short film? I don't think anybody saw him. Does anybody care? No. Okay. Throw the dartboard. I know, yeah, I picked That's one by I, I picked one by name, and my daughter during the Oscars, um, she was reading off the synopsis for them, and I was like, "Wow, that sounds terrible." <laughs> the one that I picked sounded <laughs> so stupid. Um, so anyway, I guess let's go. Let's go ahead. Let's roll in then to documentary, uh, animated film, and foreign language film. We we talked about foreign language a little bit here. How the salesman won. Um, I'll tell you this, guys. I have watched in the last couple of days a couple uh, two. South Korean films, and I have fallen in love with South Korean cinema. Um, I felt, th- I mean, I have The Handmaiden, Train to Busan, and The Wailing, which I just saw tonight mm. and completely destroyed me. Like, like seriously, going to have like that is it is way up there for me. Those three are amazing films, and and I could not believe that not a single one of those was in this category. Um, and I don't pay a lot of attention to this category usually, so I was really bummed to see that those were missing and L was missing. I just, I just don't get it. 
Well, I, I mean, I, I'm hearing it's the process that it, you know that countries have to submit, and they can only submit one, and it just turns into I don't know if it's a pecking order, political thing, a glad-handed thing, but I wonder if it's part of the process that maybe needs a little bit better examination. Not quite like baseball Hall of Fame kind of voting, but there there's some shadiness or political stuff there that I feel is going on. Yep. So what about um, so what about the documentary. What do you guys think about that one? Everybody okay with that? Uh, there, was, there was no other choice to make in my opinion. Right. I mean, I had a sentimental choice, but I knew OJ was going to win. My <laughs> sentimental choice was Life Animated. I adore Life Animated. Uh, I, I did like that. Uh, for me, it was the living embodiment of my website's name that every movie can teach a lesson in. Here's this kid completely absorbing the world through film, and it just blew my mind, blubbering mess to pieces. Great film. So, uh, but I, I knew. Um, I, you know, I, I worked for Disney for nine years too. So, I, oh wow! I, I, you know, I, I didn't see that level every day, but every day, it, you know, I'm biased when it comes to Disney because I've seen the the magical moments that that people who go to Disney experience while they're there. So that definitely touched an emotional nerve for me. Just just watching how Disney impacted this kid. Um, and I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I would have loved that to win, but OJ Made in America was oh, yeah. was, was just uh, it's just a no stone left unturned. Uh, eight and a half hours. It was like the Lord of the Rings of documentaries, but it was. Just this was a strong. This was a strong category, top to bottom, because I mean, thirteenth from Ava DuVernay's amazing. That was you know. Yeah, I saw that one. I am not your Negro. It's amazing, and then we're talking about life animated, and yeah, this is this was one of the deepest categories in years for best documentary. And that's not even counting the ones that are left off, like Gleason. Oh yeah, you got camera person Gleason Tower. Wiener. Yeah, is I mean, camera person really good? I, I was gonna I was gonna load that one up. Uh... I'm lukewarm on it. I have friends that really love it, though. Um, I believe one of the one of the film spotting guys uh, to plug them. I don't know why they need. Yeah, plug. Josh Larson. He has it in his top ten. Way, um, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's like the Malik of documentaries, in my opinion. <laughs> so I'm not a huge fan, but uh, but yeah, it was a strong year in general for docs and uh, and I think for important documentaries like like I'm Not Your Negro, Thirteenth, and OJ, all dealing with some semblance of race relations in America. This is the right time. This is this is when these are necessary, and they were all incredibly well done. But it's interesting because, like you guys, Life Animated did hit a sweet spot for me. And I watched the Oscars with my ex-wife, and she is a special needs teacher. She's a high school special needs teacher, and so she was actually yelling at me for picking OJ because <laughs> she wanted Life Animated so badly because that is like her life. And I have I've been able to have a, a new learning and appreciation and understanding of these students because of her experiences that she's relayed to me where I was that outsider. I, I just saw people with these disabilities or learning challenges as, as, as completely different people. Um, but much like the documentary shows us, you know, <laughs> it's not like that. I mean, it, it, is, it, is his name Evan? I want to say his name's Evan, but um, you know, it, he's just inside his head. Right. It has nothing to do with him being different than me. He just doesn't have a way to express that. And so I, I'm highly encouraging everybody to seek out life animated as well. But like you guys, I was all in on OJ. Um, Steve, I binged it the entire, like eight hours straight. I I couldn't stop. 
I, I couldn't stop. I was so in. I was I was un, unbelievably enthralled yeah. with it. Yeah, I watched it in the three the three segments just because I've a short attention span. Anyway, I, I had to walk away from from it, but it did. Um, just sidebar, it made me watch the uh, uh, the Netflix the one. one on, yeah, the Netflix one, and and that was fascinating as well. You know, it's it just another real well done. So yeah. I've I've consumed about. 20 hours of OJ Simpson <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. And, and, and I feel better for it. It's just, yeah. just fantastic storytelling. Um, the feelers choice, by the way, also went to OJ made in America. So good on us. The, the feelers choice for best animated film um, was the best choice and was the correct choice. And that was Kubo and the two strings. So props to you guys community for picking the right animated film the Academy did not do yet. that. Oh, Steve, Steve. I have seen Zootopia, and I enjoyed Zootopia. I enjoyed it too, but it was definitely... I mean, there, was a message. there was a message there too. But... I think that's my problem with Zootopia's win, is that I feel like it's it it was chosen because of its message of inclusion. It's not a bad message. It's, it's an important message. It's, it's fine. It was a very witty film. I enjoyed the heck out of it. But as a animated best picture winner... Yep. The movie with the more interesting story, the hero's journey, the way, way, way more complex animation, um, the better music, it was all Kubo. And I just do not understand. I was I was really hoping there at the end because the BAFTA has this streak of eight out of nine picking the animated feature and they went Kubo. Right. And so I was really hoping, um, but... Alas, it went the way we thought, which is Zootopia. I got a question for you on Kubo. Do you think the the small rumblings of whitewash casting was was a knock that was just enough of a knock to put Zootopia ahead on some voters' eyes? Potentially. It actually came up at my Oscar party. Um, someone mentioned mm-hmm. it jokingly, kind of was like, yeah, you know, the only thing I didn't like was the, the white cast, casting of the voice actors and such. And I was like, yeah, you know, eh. They weren't the best part of the film, but I thought that they, they did a good job. But maybe right, me too. maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, somebody brought up at our party, they mentioned, you know, look at look at what's going on right now with the Ghost in the Shell stuff and with Matt Damon mm-hmm. and the Great Wall and or, or perceived whole, perceived whitewashing, by the way. Or even just the, the, the you know, this white savior label they try to throw on Lyle Land, which I think is unfair. It, you know, that, yeah, it, it was a year where, especially after Oscar's so white, and and, the, and I and I and I hope this is a better. I hope this just speaking on the topic itself. I hope this is a year that is a start of something good and not just a knee jerk reaction. Because um, obviously we had a, you know a really good percentage of of um, of diverse uh, acting nominees and all that. But you know for one year it looks really good as long as the, you know we we're not right back for two more years of of all white nominees. So. If this can be a door opener year for for more opportunity, great. Um, I'll still be the one that says until you get Latino and Asian in there, I, you know, you can cry all day about African Americans, but you're you're still not all that diverse. So, I, I yeah, that's in a year where all that's been, you know, the antennas on that are really sensitive. I I, I wonder if that's the one knock that put Kubo down. Maybe, maybe it's also not Disney or Pixar, <laughs> but not that they've won every one. Um, I, I haven't seen Moana. Did anybody have any feelings differently about uh, Moana or the Red Turtle or something about a zucchini? 
I haven't seen. I haven't seen Moana. Zootopia is the only one I've seen so far. Um, Moana is decent, but it's nowhere near Kubo, and even nowhere near Zootopia. Um, I have critic buddies in town who have seen the Red Turtle, who rave about it, but mm-hmm. it's just so obscure, foreign, and small that it just had no chance. Yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. Well, with that, I think we should just move on in. Let's let's you know let's talk about the top eight or so this this is i'm just gonna do if we can just do free for all and kind of we'll just lead each other around here but we've got deal song and score kind of no-brainers went to la la land let's start there um i think everybody expected it i would have been very surprised had well if i don't even know what i would have done i probably would have just passed out and slept the rest of the ceremony <laughs> if la la land hadn't <laughs> won these two categories um i do want to mention that our listeners for the Feeler's Choice Award for Best Original Song actually did not go with La La Land. They chose Drive It Like You Stole It from Sing Street. So there's lots of love for Sing it. Street by our listeners, which makes sense. But, you know, this is a podcast about love and movies, and that's a movie that is very emotionally resonating for a lot of us. I'll, I will tell you a behind the scenes, being the guy doing the vo- or checking the votes, I did get a little nervous because when I saw the Feeler's Choice Awards, the way the votes lined out, combined, La La Land crushed Drive It Like You Stole It, the City of Stars and Audition. We we had both of them in our five as well. And I got a little worried that that might happen at the Oscars. If the votes got split between City of Stars and Audition, something else might have taken it. Um, luckily, that I didn't... Be the, the sneaker if there was one. I thought it would have been Moana as well. I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda, come on. Right. Um, right. I, by the way, so I thought that was an amazing performance. I loved the performance of the lead, the, the I don't know the actress's name, um, the 17-year-old I girl. I pronounce it if you put it in front of me. But oh, I for thought, Moana? Yeah, but yeah. she looked so elegant and just not trashy and and she just looks especially after she got bonked in the head by the the passing fly (laughs) yes (laughs) and and conversely i was really disappointed in the la la land performances i understand you couldn't have emma stone and ryan gosling up there these are actors these are not singers they they did millions of takes to get these right for the movie they're not performers asking them to do this live was not fair but as much as i love john legend it, it, it didn't, it didn't work. I, I'd almost wish you would have just yeah. played the song okay. over the intercom with, you know, right. a back screen or dancers or something. Yeah, it, uh, it sounded just off. Yeah, I love John Legend, too. But, you know, they, they could have just brought in Adele Dazim to do it if they were going to if they were looking for, mm-hmm. <laughs> to blow it out of the water. But, um, you know, for me, a score was obvious song. I, I was ecstatic to see the feelers took drive it like you stole it because I love Sing Street. Um, I think that was a, a, a criminally underrated film when it came to any kind of award recognition. Um, but City of Stars, it was predictable. It's, it wasn't my favorite. I, I it, it, Of the two La La Land songs, I much prefer Audition. I second um, that. Least... Huh? I second that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, from a, I get why City of Stars. City of Stars is sort of, yeah, it seems like it was sort of that that harmonious glue that sort of that held that movie that just sort of held that movie together throughout. Um, but audition was just, it was surreal. And yeah, Emma Stone's not a, a singer per se, but she just, that felt so natural. And, and I thought she just blew that, that particular number out of the water. 
Agreed. Um, and I was I was just mesmerized by her in that particular scene singing that song. Um, so I like that a lot. And you know what? I, I, I dug the whole Justin Timberlake uh, opening and stuff with, with the song, the dance, dance, dance. I don't know what the name of it is, but... Can't you know, stop feeling... That was the catchy Same. pop tune. That's the one you know, whether you want to admit it or not, that you're cranking up in the car when you're alone and, and, and bopping to. It, it, you know, it, it's it's relevant. Um, but, yeah, I, they were pretty predictable all around that it was going to be La La Land and City of Stars. Right. For as, much as, for as much as they were predictable, and I'm totally fine that they won because I'm a big La La Land guy, but um, I'll be the hot take contrarian that says – um, La La Land was the obvious winner for original score, but not the best winner they could have had. Um, I think that Michael Levi score from Jackie is off the charts. Um, I think that's a, a fantastic place where there's atmosphere there that just changes the tone of that entire movie in a good way. And I know it's not everyone's cup of tea and it's, it's kind of a creeper of a score, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I think it was too easy for the musical to have good music. So challenge yourself with something a little different. And Michael Levi's work in Jackie was outstanding where, um, yeah, I knew Lyle was going to win, but that one should, to me, that was the should have won instead of the will win. So. Yeah. I, you know, I don't have anything against the Jackie score. I actually agree with you. I think it's phenomenal. Um, I also wouldn't have had too much beef with a rival, which wasn't nominated. I don't think shockingly again, after watching it again this morning, I just was, I was really reblown away by that movie. Uh, in general, and the score in it is haunting as well. Yeah. Um, Johan Johansson stuff is good, but I mean, I'm the La La Land guy, and I I'm very happy with this. Oh, my favorite La La Land track since since I'm gonna you guys mentioned yours, I'm gonna mention mine. Mine is actually a lovely night, and I, I wish that that was the number that was nominated because I feel like the to me it is the iconic musical number in this movie. Um, it's the it's the singing in the rain. Um, it, you know, it's, it's the, I've got rhythm, you know, of this movie. It's, it's mm-hmm. the actors dancing together, telling a story together. They're literally going on a journey from not liking each other to being romantic in this one song. And it's got wit and charm and amazing cinema or choreography. And it's just everything about it to me screams like it, that is La La Land in a nutshell to me. Um, Another day in the sun would come close, but to but because the stars are in it, a lovely night is my Fred Astaire and, and you know Ginger Rogers moment for Emma. How Stone many times have you Rogers. seen it so far? Six, six. Wow. Yeah, I've always seen it four. <laughs> yeah, I I really love it, guys. I you know people joked with me for a long time because I call it my favorite film of all time, and they were like, you can't really do that. And I was like, I've seen it six times, and then people start to say, okay, well maybe it's maybe it's valid. I, I don't expect everyone to feel that way. Um, for me, oh, Don, don't you dare. He is showing me a copy. You're going to hate me. Oh, You're going to hate me. Gosh, he has a screener. Screener on copy I got in uh, November. This is the reason I need my press credentials. Um, yeah, that's amazing. I'm, I'm We didn't envious. even get the movie in Maine until January. <laughs> so sad. But, I had um, a break. What I was going to say is, you know, and this ties in also to something in the ending here. We can, I'll mention briefly there, but you know, I, my love for this film is something that I personally don't know that I will ever experience again. And so that is why people have made fun of me. They're like, dude, you like, will not shut up about this movie on social media. I get one chance. This is not going to be every year. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, every year is not going to have a movie that does this to me that I care about anywhere near this much. And I think, it's a special thing, and I, I really hope that 
everyone in their lifetime gets to have a moment like this, you know, a Lord of the Rings or whatever that is that is the thing that you are so absolutely in love with, it becomes your favorite. Um, and you get to just embrace it and go on that ride with it the whole year. And, and it was an awesome ride for me. And so it was, it was really enjoyable. Completely on board with exactly what you're saying there. I mean, for, for years, Almost Famous has been my favorite movie of all time. And, and La La Land is the one that, you know, after you see it initially, you kind of got to let, let that, let the shine wear off a little bit. You don't want to make that, that statement right out of the gate, but you know, I've seen it four times now and it's still each time I'm seeing something new. And then the first time I saw it is just, just pure joy watching this take place on screen. And yeah, it, it may be my, my favorite of all time as well. Man. It's funny you I mentioned what, that. Oh, go ahead. There's um there's a fun term a fellow critic in town. Uh, I'll name drop him in case he listens to the podcast. Uh, uh, E-Man's movie reviews. Emmanuel knows it. He has a term for comic movies that I think applies here, um, and he calls it fanlexia. That if you go into a movie with with absolute fandom already, that you get, once you once you see the film, the film can do no wrong. You know, you, you can't shake away from it. You can't step back and go, you know, you're, you know, that, that you can't recognize flaws and things like that. Now, I'm not saying La La Land has, you know, flaws that can't be recognized and things like that. But um, when I hear you guys talk about it on that level, and it was my number one movie of the year, too, where it, it's one of those movies where you will remember where you were and who you were with and how you saw it that first time. It's, it's that kind of movie. And you're right. One of those one or two of those movies do not come around every year. You might have one, you know, sentimental favorite movie that hits you and tops your list every year, but not not something like that that just really changes just your whole perception of film. And that's one of those moments where I'll take the fan Lexi and love it to death. Amen. Yep. Hey Steve, I watched uh, Almost Famous last week for the first time ever. Really? Amazing. Uh, easily probably in my top 20 of all time. I, I fell in love with it. So um, I think that those two being up there for you makes perfect sense because I love the same type of movies you do. And man, almost famous was, it just blew me away. I, I loved it yeah. so much. I love it. All right. So moving on, we got, let's do, um, let's do screenplays next and then we'll just hit the right. rest screenplays. I know I meant, Oh, go I ahead. I mentioned it earlier. I know I mentioned earlier. I feel, I feel like the right ones won to spread the wealth and, and name the right places. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea, um, we felt, I think we all, uh, we talked about this actually off air, how we believe that was the right ones to win them. We thought that was the right place to recognize those those uh, movies. Uh, because, because if Moonlight wasn't winning Best Picture, that's the spot to give it a very good award. Well, that's what I was hoping was going to happen, but yes. You and me both. Um, the Feeler's Choice Awards, by the way, were not either of those. I thought very interesting. Um, Moonlight, uh, disclaimer, is not represented in the Feeler's Choice very much. It was not seen by a, a large portion yeah. of our listenership uh, when we did these voting nominations. So that's probably that's okay. a reason. And I just want to make sure everyone listening understands that doesn't mean that nobody here loved moonlight or liked moonlight. We've got an episode on it. You can go listen to it. I rave about it. I love the movie. Um, we just didn't have enough people that saw it to make the votes happen. So oh, yeah. the feelers choices actually went, the original screenplay went to La La Land, which guys shocked me. I didn't vote for it. <laughs> My personal original screenplay choice is actually hell or high water. Um, 
that's my, that's mm. the one I was in love with, uh, very very much. So nope. I I know I know <laughs> I know I know no you don't like, it. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> but uh, uh but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah that was my choice. I just want to make sure everybody knows I didn't influence these. But the, yeah, the Feeler's choice went to La La Land, um, and then the adapted screenplay Feeler's choice went to Arrival, uh, which you know I got nothing. Nothing wrong was the consensus number two there. Yeah, the, or uh, you know, I, I think a monster's call to me, a monster calls Ooh, might have been choice. it, but it, you know, no noms, man, no noms. I, I guess no, too I mean, late in the I game. Was... Yeah, late in the game is right. Steve, you have any thoughts on screenplay stuff? Um, no, I mean I'm, I'm pretty much aligned with you guys there. Um, I think Manchester by the Sea is an absolute masterclass in screenwriting. It is um, a longer game, of, just brilliant. Um, and you know if. If Casey Affleck hadn't gone on to win, you know, to your point on Moonlight earlier, I think that was the place that you needed to reward Manchester. La La Land, it's a fine script. It's a love story. Everybody writes love stories. Yeah. There was nothing nothing spectacular about the, the, the writing of La La Land. It was more in the songs than it was anything else. Yeah, for sure. So, supporting actor, supporting actress. Um Mahershala and the Viola, two, I think we two, were all the consensus. Two of the night. Yeah, the two the locks two of the night. Viola, I was not Felix Choice Choice of John Goodman though. Love it. Yeah, I, I like that too. Yeah, that was a I, big I, one. Those that the feelers are not as pretentious as some. <laughs> the oh, totally. well, I mean, <laughs> as much as as much as I can rave about Moonlight, Moonlight the way you guys do, I don't think Mahershala Ali was the best supporting actor even in that movie. I thought any one of the three kids who played Chiron. Um, as new guys, it had so much more impactful things to do than the first chapter father figure. Now, don't get me wrong, Ali does it a great does a great job doing it, but I'll take the teen Chiron Ashton Sanders. I'll take the older Chiron Trevante Rhodes. Oh, give me Trevante, give me Trevante Rhodes all day, all day. All day. That all final day. scene in Moonlight crushes oh, me. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I also think um, for me, you know, all the Heller Highwater guys and Chris Pine, I guess, could have been a lead. I wish he would have been a leading. Chris Pine should have been a lead. Um, but you know, Jeff Bridges are has been done before, but it's amazing when he does it. And and Ben Foster for me is just unreal. So I, I would have been fine with anybody else as well. Um, but John Goodman, yeah, John Goodman took the feelers' choice, and I was really proud to see that represented. And and it was a landslide, folks. There was no Good. question. Uh, about it so we all consistently consistently consensusly i don't even think that's a word well, agreed that it was going to be john, john goodman, goodman elevates anything he's in he does and he was so he good elevates man. red state <laughs> that's right. true that's oh, true red. the other feeler's choice went to viola um just like the oscar uh and well that sh- i'll be the one that says that should have been a lead performance oh viola I mean, she, she yes for sure out, she easily outclassed the other four nominees like if you take viola out my number two there is probably Michelle Williams in, in Manchester by the Sea, purely for that scene she shares with Casey at the end, where, you know that. But yeah, Viola was going to win that no matter what. By the way, I mentioned this in our Manchester uh, minisode that was done last week, actually. But uh, the screen time for Michelle Williams is actually eleven minutes and twenty seconds. Yeah. And for her to have that kind of impact in that amount of time, to me, is 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 memorable and is worth. Well, Recognition How much too. did Anne Hathaway have in Les Mis? Oh gosh, more I don't know. 11. Would it have been much more. Yeah, it had to be more than. I, I mean, mean, the song the... alone is probably eleven minutes. Right, so that, that was that was her moment. I know. Who's the um? Who's the one we always talk about for the, the Judy Dench and Shakespeare in Love for having 
about 11 to 15 minutes of screen time back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the uh, we haven't really talked much about speeches, which is surprising, but there weren't a lot of politically charged, powerful speeches. I was actually impressed with that personally. Um, didn't get didn't mm-hmm. bo- get bogged down in it. Viola's speech, it, it, just as good as her Golden Globes. Um, I love her to death. I think she's amazing. Uh, she seems again kind of like we mentioned with JT earlier. She is just a, a genuine human being. I think she is one of the greatest actresses of our generation. I think we're going to look back on her and we're going to say that's Denzel uh, for yep. um, African American female actresses, and I love it. I think there's there's no one better to take that mantle and run with it. Um, I, I yep. love the oh, way dude. she thanks everybody and she really uh, man when she I actually got I choked up to be honest when she oh captain my captain Denzel Washington I was like oh yeah. stop <laughs> but I loved her speech yeah she's fantastic and, and I liked uh, Mahershala Ali's speech too oh yeah he, yeah 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 that's true very good humble well spoken mm-hmm. uh, appreciative of, of, of where of where he is and what he's been given to get there uh, yeah, to your point, I think all the speeches were 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 heartfelt this year. There wasn't the, nobody jumped up on any big soapboxes. Nobody got all like weird, like uh, like what McConaughey did and, and Jared Leto did the year that they won. That was they were just that was just odd. Um, every, everybody everybody was was really really good this year. Or like Leo talking about saving the Brazilian rainforest when he was in a movie about frontier survival or something. I don't even know what the heck he was going on about, man. It was crazy. Yeah, they call that a soapbox for sure. Um, all right. Big three uh, or big four. Yep. Director, Damien Chazelle. Um, I'm, I'm raising the roof right now. I'm, I'm so yep. thrilled. If there was one award that La La Land needed to get to make me not lose my mind completely, which I was very close to just – being done with what just happened last night. But uh, this is the one that makes me proud, and I think they got right. Uh, we didn't mention cinematography. Uh, but anyway, um, we'll go there after director. Uh, sure. But, that was a no-doubter for sure, but yeah, I'm with you. But Damien got, uh, became, becomes the youngest director in history to win an Oscar, and I think it is so well-deserved because, frankly, to me, this Oscar is a an award for both uh, Whiplash and La La Land. Whiplash was my favorite film of 2014, and a stunning achievement as well. And so I'm just so happy that that award was given to him. And I, I couldn't imagine it going to anybody else. You know, I mean, I, I'm with you on that. I, uh, when I look at Chazelle, um, I think of just, here's a guy that's just born with a gift for the storytelling. At 32 years old, and to, to churn out Whiplash and La La Land back to back like that from a writing and directing standpoint, um, you know, all, all the years of film school, is, aren't, aren't going to teach you those kind of skills by the time you're 32 years old. That's just raw talent. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, there was no other pick for me this year than Chazelle. And, and you know, that, yes, I'm biased towards La La Land, but just, I agree. Whiplash slash La La Land. That's where this win is, is coming from. I'll tell you what, someday in this category, Denis Villeneuve will win this category someday. I, I don't know. I hope so. I mean, I mean, I, I mean cause I, I was a big fan of Sicario last year. Um, I, Arrival is just fine of a movie this year. Um, I know he's got Blade Runner next year, which is probably more of a genre film than a best picture film. But if he keeps doing what he's doing someday, that guy's up there next. Well, my favorite two, three current 
directors are favorite. I, have, I guess I have four, two of them being Christopher Nolan and Jeff Nichols, but the other two are Chazelle and, and Villeneuve. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Don. In fact, if anybody was going to beat him, I needed it to be Denis because I love every single one of his films. They're all masterpieces to me. And I think the guy is an amazing talent and just a brilliant mind as well. I'm so excited. Blade Runner's in my top 10 of all time. Top five, I think, actually, right now. Um, so that remake, and then he's got Dune coming up. I'm, I'm a little nervous, too, because you know these. I love him for his original stuff or you know, adapted from a book stuff, not taking sequels to a movie or remaking movies. And so we, we shall see, but I think that they're in good hands. I'm glad you brought up Jeff Nichols there too, because I, I think that I think yeah, it's he's only solid. Yeah, I mean, he could have been in this category for for Twice. Midnight okay. Special or Loving. Yeah, yeah, yeah frankly. Both. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I want to. Other than Ruth Nega, both films completely snubbed. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Someday he's same thing. Someday he's going to land on the right thing that's going to put him there. Yeah, he is. Um, well, how uh, do you guys? Uh, feel, feelers segue. choice. Feeler's Choice went to Damien, too, by the way, just to throw that out there. Go ahead. So how do you guys feel about the uh, the underlying Casey Affleck controversies or accusations that keep Brie Larson from clapping and people from feeling really good about his win? Oh, did Brie Larson say something about it? Nah, I think more clickbait people noticed that she wasn't going to clap and, and uh, look that man in the eye because she's an advocate for um, – uh, sexual abuse in women and things like that. So okay. not exactly the best poster child to hand an award to is Casey Affleck. So, uh, you know, and I haven't done a whole lot of, I, I mean, I know what, what, what he's, what the allegations are, but I haven't really done a lot of research on it. He, he's never actually been found guilty of it. Right. It's just allegations. No. Right. It's purely, purely, purely Hollywood back, back lot talk and all that. But, I, I, when, when I saw Denzel win the SAG, I'm like, Oh, and, and obviously yeah. the, that indicator was is always huge, and the, the SAG hasn't deviated from Best Actor since 2003. So I'm like, what? I mean, it was enough to change my pick from from Denzel, you know, from Casey to Denzel. And I'll be the guy. I mean, if I'm voting on purely the role and the talent on display, yeah, Casey Affleck wins this category by a country mile. But I get why, you know, circumstances and penalties can keep a guy from winning if if that would have been the case, and it did not. But yeah, I was curious where you guys stood on all that. I was surprised that that it didn't shift to Denzel for the Oscars too. But you know, it's because of that. Because um, they have this, they have a perfect fallback with somebody as stately and perfect as Denzel Washington. Like it'd be different if there was some, you know, it was like Adam Driver or some fringe nominee that you're like, yeah, where like it really that. looked like a consolation prize, but it's Denzel, you know. Right. Well, I completely agree and we talked in depth about this on the manchester uh, actually on our bonus content on patreon that i plugged earlier so if you want to hear some more about that patrick and i went into depth on a casey and what we felt about this but i will say i agree completely with you guys i i thought casey was the best performance i thought denzel was an incredible performance but i thought casey's was so raw and relatable for everyone in existence that that's what elevated it and so I'm so glad that the art was awarded and not the uh, the person's whole, I guess, in a way. Um, I, I will say I noticed it was very obvious that there was a lower level of applause. Um, they did not cut to the crowd during this during this award, 
So I think that was intentional. There must have been more people not clapping because you could just tell there. There's people just weren't thrilled about it. You know what I mean? And uh, I thought there, I saw, I thought I saw one crowd cut because they always do that picture of either the person walking up the stairs or even just that that shot from the far back of the stage out to the stage. And there's a large enough section of people that were not going to stand and were not going to clap for him. It, it was a split second shot, but they had one. Yeah, and they did a cut to Denzel, and there were tears in his eyes, which was interesting to me because you don't often see emotion uh, from the losing side, and I didn't know how to read that. I didn't know if that was sadness for him not winning. I didn't know if that was sadness of feeling like Casey shouldn't have gotten it because they were awarding, you know, what he's accused of. I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't really sure. Um, but I did notice it was very clear his eyes were welling with tears. I did notice that. So it, it, am I correct that the acting branch is the largest voting branch? You are correct. So if they're not embracing Casey, who voted for him? Good point. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, the, the feeler's choice did go to Denzel. Denzel. Yeah. So best actress. But, I'm what, sorry. Uh, I, 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 here's, here's something I wanted to bring up more around the Casey Affleck. Is campaigning still relevant? Because I look at Casey Affleck, who did none because he didn't want to. He didn't want to face the questioning, and Denzel was out there, you know, kissing the the babies and shaking the hands. And I look at last year, Mark Rylance didn't do a lick of campaigning, whereas Stallone was out there in front doing the interviews oh. and stuff like that. But yet Rylance wins. Rob, so is, camp- is campaigning still a thing? I think it is for. You know what? That's a fair question because I mean. What the probably the most well yeah the most commercially successful best picture nominee was Hidden Figures and it got skunked all night so you know either not just the court of public opinion but the court of you know eyes on prize and eyes on the film that's a good question I don't man that's I think it still does because we still see Axar Ridge getting nominated you know we we see hot button things or unlikely things that get there but then you know is is, where's the campaigning for something like Silence from Martin Scorsese? Or where's the campaigning from? Um, I know Lion snuck into a couple of places that maybe was more of a you know a Weinsteiny old school style small studio thing. Where I don't know. It's that's a that's a darn good question, Steve. I don't I don't know. I think um, the the one indication of campaigning that I even saw was someone for the, actually I think it was on the Suicide Squad team for makeup. Um, who had called some of the voters to campaign. And I guess that's a no-no for the Academy. Yeah. And so they, they pulled his name off of the award list. Like he was one of the ones on there and he, he got removed. So he doesn't get an Oscar now, which I was like, whatever. So such stupid rules. They can campaign all day in the media, but they can't actually <laughs> call their friends, I guess. But that's a, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, moving on, uh, we'll do best actress. Then we'll do cinematography and the best picture. So best actress, Emma Stone. I think we were, uh, we were all on Emma. Smitten with Emma Stone. Oh, me too. Yeah. I'm in love. It, it, the crazy thing is, it counts as an upset in terms of data. You know, um, she won before the Golden Globe. She won three small crit- critics group of awards, and that's it. Um, for the longest time during award season, it, it was Isabel Huppert versus Natalie Portman, and it was far and away her being a dark horse and underdog. And then all of a sudden she wins the globe. It turns into the sag. It turns into the BAFTA and you, you knew, and she was a foregone conclusion on Oscar night because 
that's kind of one of those moments where the house wins and, and the Hollywood anoints their next it girl and, and you know, one of their own sort of kind of way. I knew Isabel Hubert wasn't going to win because it's an underseen foreign film. But um, and I think now it got dinged because she had most recently won where, yeah, I knew voters were going to sway to the next big thing. But it technically on paper counts as an upset. Can we just say how Isabel Hubert looks for 63 years old? Oh my She's goodness, 63? Yeah. No. No. I looked it up on three different sources. <laughs> Woo, hottie. Yeah, no kidding. Holy moly. Oh my God. I'm and impressed. Emma Stone just brought like a, a just, I don't know, she had this like old Hollywood glamour look to her. She you know, does. Which, yeah. just, which ties nice into the La La Land. Yeah, I'm completely smitten with her and I'm ecstatic that she won that award. Me too. And, Me too. And, and here's, a, here's the other thing. I, I have to bring it up. We keep talking about Oscar so white. How about Oscar so Merrill? Why is Meryl Streep nominated every single year? <laughs> well, I can think of a handful of actresses that would have easily replaced her in my mind. I was not high Taraji on Taraji P. Henson? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Taraji. Um, no. Uh, Ruth Nega. Uh, like I wouldn't we, put Taraji up there. I don't know. Over I, Meryl? I would have gone Ruth yeah. Nega. I would have gone. Mine would have been the Feeler's Choice Award winner, which was Amy Adams. Um, the only one that I felt yep. ha- held a candle to Emma Stone in, personally. So oh, I would have gone with her. But yeah, I'm not a Meryl Streep. I mean, I don't, I don't take anything away from Meryl's accomplishments. Um, but it has become a running joke now at every single Oscar ceremony and every single yeah. award ceremony. I'm kind of tired of it, to be honest, um, because it, it happens every single one. You know, uh, we know she's amazing. And uh, you know we don't have to nominate her every single year to to keep proving that. I mean, are we yeah, are we are, are they just lazy and don't want to find a, a relevant fifth actress somewhere? <laughs> so they just I'll say it like this. Meryl? I'll say it like this. There's the reason why she's still there is because a little bit of what you just said. Um, that's how, in my opinion, thin, unfortunately, role good roles are for women. Good roles are for older actresses, and when you have somebody with her clout and her popularity in terms of being kind of that that firebrand speaker in terms of things, because look look how many standing ovations she got just for showing up last night. So, I think there's a there's a segment where until somebody better comes along, good luck knocking her off that perch. She's the best living actress, period. Um, in terms of just scope of career, now some of that again is maybe uh, overbuilt, but at the same time. She has an untouchable resume that that no yeah I, I I think that's how thin it is to find good strong female lead roles in that demographic that that voting demographic is going to go for because remember we're still talking about what um eighty percent of this voting electorate is older white males so I mean that's their I mean that's Merrill that's their that's their you know class valedictorian that's still out there campaigning in the hometown you know so. Mm-hmm. Meryl's there until someone can, can knock her off, and no, no one's gonna do it till she dies. I mean, you, you can say, I mean, Amy Adams has five Academy Award nominations. Kate Winslet has six and one win. Until some really, Kate Blanchett maybe, you know, until some really consistent present, you know, presence comes around, you're not knocking her off. She's just too good. Maybe not for this particular role, but as a talent and as a person, she's too good. Yeah, that's valid. I agree. I am happy the Feeler's Choice went to Amy Adams. I, I, I love that the community recognized Rival as well as they did. 
Um, it was a big, big hit with most of our listeners. We do have a couple of our guest hosts who were not so high on it, but they're just wrong. I, I, I need to see it again. I've seen it once. It so didn't good. resonate with me, um, but I, I'll revisit that, and, and I'm not afraid to change my opinion of it if I think differently. Well, two more, uh, and then we'll do a quick couple uh, discussion points and uh, be done. So cinematography, which we skipped over, went to La La Land. Fielder's Choice went to La La Land. Was there anything else uh, in your minds that came close? Nope. Um, boy, oh, boy. I mean, if um, Arrival, maybe. Bradford Young and Arrival. That's some pretty good shooting there. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say La La Land without a doubt, but um, did you guys see Lion? Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought the cinematography there yeah. was pretty. Good. Green Fraser's work is solid there. I really enjoyed I'll the do... first half of Lion. Um, that was that by itself would have been a foreign yeah. film nominee for me. The the second half I was think, um, not good. I'll dive I'll dive deep on a on a snubbed one for um, cinematography. Um, Adam um, Adam Archipel's work on the Light Between Oceans. I know it was you know kind of a poorly received kind of melodrama film, but what what he can do with wind and light out there on some lighthouse in the middle of New Zealand or Tasmania, and he did Macbeth a year ago, and I know not the greatest version of Macbeth, but just those oranges and those flames in Macbeth and all that. So I, I got a shout out to a, a deep sleeper that I wish would have made the final five with Anna Markopile. Nice, nice. Well, I, I think it's great to mention that. I still need to see it. I adore <laughs> fast, I love Fassbender and um, – Alicia Vikander is one of my like top three working actresses. So um, I it's uh, worth it. Oh man, it's really good. Uh, it's a melodrama which I actually you know enjoy. So uh, yeah, I need to I need to check that one out. Uh, mine would have been probably Silence. I think for my second pick, um, I really okay. appreciate that film. Um, I do want to mention it here because so many people in our community um, really connected with that movie. And I mean, I have, I know several fellow podcasters, uh, who make it, made it their number one of the year. And I was really bummed to not see more love for that film. I think that it is a movie that 10 years from now as a little foreshadowing is something we're going to mention. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a movie that people are going to remember later, uh, once people get a chance to see it and, and feel what it can do to them and make them think about, but for now, yeah, it just, it just didn't get the love. Just didn't yeah. get it. Maine. That's Maine. Maine. Maine is covered in Christians just like the other 49 states. <laughs> I mean, it's it's going to resonate in that crowd up there. Well, the best picture uh, for Feeler's Choice went to Moonlight. Mm. No, 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 wait. It went to La La Land. I read that wrong. Mm. My bad. You sure? I'm going to let you guys go first. So actually let's, let's take turns. Wow. So we don't talk over each other. Um, okay. This will give me time to not be upset. I hope, but uh, who's going? Steve, Steve, sure. how do you feel Steve. about moonlight um, winning? And also how do you feel about what went down? Uh, well, I, I was disappointed that La La Land, didn't ultimately win it because that was my favorite of the year. Uh, Moonlight for me, uh, it didn't resonate with me real well. As a matter of fact, of, of the the nine nominees, it was in the bottom third for me. But I get it. I get why. I get why it won. I get why it's relevant. 
and ultimately, yeah, I would love to have seen La La Land win, but okay, whatever. Now, what went down? <laughs> that was just unacceptable. Um, you know, everybody is is you know the the accounting firm Price Waterhouse Cooper is is you know they've been up front taking the taking the heat for it. Um, I'm not willing to give Warren Beatty a full pass just yet. Um, he clearly knew something was amiss, and he chose to not raise his hand and go, hey, guys, which I think would have would have been perfectly fine given the circumstance. Um, and then, he, and then he, 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 he hems and he haws, and then he sort of passes the, the thing over to Faye Dunaway in, in what I interpreted as him going, hey, look at this, this is weird, and her interpreting it as, oh, how nice, you're letting me announce La La Land, because that's all she saw. And, and you know, I feel bad for La La Land, but I feel bad for Moonlight, because that completely stole their moment. Yeah, they got to come up and make their speeches and stuff, but, but you could barely hear the speeches just over the buzz from the crowd, you know, of what's going on out there. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately you know, 10, 20 years from now, you're not going to be thinking about Moonlight. You're going to be thinking about, oh, that's, that was that Oscars where, where that happened. Um, so I, I think they've, they, they've sort of stolen all of the thunder away from what, what the meaning behind Moonlight winning this award actually is. So I, I think it's, it's, and I saw some articles today about how this has completely ruined the credibility of Price Waterhouse. It's like, Ah, slow your roll, people. They've been doing this for eighty-two years, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready to, to go after them with pitchforks. It, it was, it was an unfortunate thing, um, you know. I, I, I don't think it'll happen again anytime soon. But yeah, I would like to have seen La La Land win. But what, what I really took away with it, you know, what Emma Stone got hers, Damien Chazelle got his, and and that is a a, a really good salve to the wound. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, a bunch of producers don't get to walk away with trophies. Don, what about you? Um, I'll admit, um, I laugh my butt off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's as much as it's nice to invest in these movies and invest in the awards that they get, and, and really hope for your favorites to win and all that. Um, as a show and as a thing. I, I could not I could not stop laughing. Um, so I, 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 I did I had zero butt hurt feelings about it um, in terms of just the way it went down and how embarrassing it was. I think the I, you talked about Sav. Um, the Sav for me, especially because that could have got really ugly and embarrassing. I gotta give props to La La Land producer Jordan Horowitz, who was the guy yeah. who stopped, got on the mic. And said, "No, guys, you know, uh, this is not a joke. Moonlight is the best picture." And and not just stopped everything, kind of what you know, attempted to get on the mic and do that. Held up the card, but also said, you know, because Jimmy kind of started to come in and say, you know, really apologize and say, you know, about because you know, he got to get that trophy out of his hands. He's like, "No, I'm going to wait on the stage and give this to my friends May 24 Moonlight." And I thought, I mean, a, a nice little moment of absolute class between peers. Um, save that from being. You know, you can't take this Oscar out of my, you know, cold dead hands kind of Charlton Hesney stuff. So, it, uh, class in a in a place where a lot of times we don't see it, 
saved a, a really ugly moment. Um, in terms of films and disappointment and all that, um, I was high on Moonlight, and um, I thought if La La Land had to, win, win, had to lose to something, I'd rather have it be that than something like Hidden Figures, which was just more populist than easy. Um, Moonlight counts as, you know, kind of, I, I called in a lot of my preview articles, um, the most important film of last year. I know La La Land's going to be the most entertaining, the one we remember, but the one that maybe opens the doors or sends the best message is Moonlight. And that, that was good enough for me. Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't sad by it, you know, as much as Moonlight to me will deserve it more. Um, if it had to lose to somebody, I'm okay with losing to, to Moonlight. Well, <laughs> I, uh, so I'll tell you, you know, I think you guys knew how much I loved it. You knew I was waiting. Um, I, my daughter, I've mentioned on the show before has fallen in love with this film. She's seen it as many times as you have, Steve. Um, she's going to get the DVD Blu-ray actually, of course, and she's going to show it at her birthday party in May when her, cause it comes out right before that. She's excited to introduce her friends to it. And Steve is waving his, his press screener again <laughs> in front of me. So not Steve nice. Not press screeners. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I, this has been a film and I've mentioned it, how I've connected to her. And this is the first film that she's fallen in love with and it has created a love of movies in her between this and doing the podcast she made a letterbox account she's starting to track some of her favorites and, and make a watch list and I, you can, I cannot put into words how exciting that is to me and and, it, and it's a large portion of my love for this film is it's a connection to her that i will always have right and so we're sitting there and we're excited and and it happens um they say la la land and it, it's this it's this moment that I I've, I probably have never had watching an award show of, of pure elation. I'm, I'm screaming. I'm running around. I'm hugging people. I'm just completely going bonkers um, for this. And quickly, you know, grabbing my phone and, and flipping it up to, to start recording speeches as they start going off. And that's when we hear, you know, Jordan going, no, no, no. I'm like, not, not kidding. Like, this is Moonlight's Award. And the feeling that I felt in that moment, guys... <laughs> The, the ripping of my heart out of my chest is what it felt like. I, it's, this is not about me. I'm, I'm actually using this to segue. I cannot imagine how that felt for the people on that stage that got up and stood there for La La Land to believe for 120 seconds that you just won the best picture and to have that snatched out of you. That is a pain that they will never experience again um, and had to be awful Conversely, like you guys mentioned, it's also a moment that has been robbed from Moonlight and their team that they will never be able to experience again. They will never be able to have the elation of winning a Best Picture Oscar, walking up to the stage and having everybody's full attention the way that they deserved. So it is a brutal, brutal mistake all the way around. I mean, it is an unacceptable mistake. Now, like you said, Steve, it doesn't mean that we should find a new accounting firm. People made mistakes, and those people probably shouldn't come back. That's probably the punishment mm-hmm. ever from the, the missing of the card to whoever got handed to Warren to Faye, who, who saw it was wrong, and both of them knew it was wrong, and they, they said it anyway. They didn't pause enough. They didn't stop and get clarification. Yeah. So they shouldn't come back, but that's as far as the crucifixion needs to go. It doesn't need to be any more than that. They messed up, and, and a lot of people have a moment that was ruined forever, but it was just that. I've had a day to reflect on it, and it was an award ceremony. This isn't life or death. This nope. isn't a movie getting made or not getting made. 
these are two incredible films that were to me the two that were the they weren't my two favorites but they were the two that i understood being the most competitive for this award and so yeah i i I understand how it's gone down and and it's it's unfortunate we're going to remember it that way but you know it it is what it is as they say now and uh hindsight i i love the way jordan handled it uh don like you i mean he actually he actually rips the card out of warren's hand when warren starts to try and like get involved again he snatches it and holds it up to the camera and he's like no it's moonlight and these guys actually going back to uh, a couple months ago they had they were tweeting each other these two teams uh pr- producers just praising each other so there's a long standing respect that was displayed between peers like you said and i think that was almost as important as these two films showing us how Hollywood's not completely pretentious and they, they aren't all at odds with each other. They, they appreciate each other's art and work. And I thought that was a a great moment. Two more things. One real quick one. I think that um, I read a tweet uh, last night about La La Land and I thought it was just kind of brilliant. And the person had said, um, let me see if I can find it real quick. Oh, there's something sort of wonderful about La La Land's Oscar journey, having two endings. And I, I just thought that was kind of neat, you know, like yeah. it, it really does play into the theme of the film <laughs> and how the film plays out for those that have seen it. So that's, that's kind of a poetic way to look at it and, and made me feel better in my time of mourning. And then the last thing I want to say is I understand the relevance of Moonlight's choice and I am okay with it because I, I hope that it inspires and gives a feeling of worth to the people that it needs to. I do think that 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, no one's going to talk about Moonlight and everybody's going to talk about La La Land. (laughs) That's what I think. I, 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 Don gave me a weird look, so I'll let you respond, but that, that's truly what I think is going to happen. Um, I think, I think honestly, I think both films have a chance to be, um, a corner. uh, Yeah. I, I feel like both films have a chance to be, have, have this be a cornerstone for a, a page in some history. I think Damien Chazelle is going to be back on that stage. He's 32, you know, <laughs> um, he's going to have another bite of this apple, but, um, but a, a film that hopefully can be as inspiring as moonlight doesn't get this many bites of the apple. So if that's, if this is their shot, um, if this can be like, I called it earlier, the door opener to um, not just demographics, but just kind of, um, uh, if it can finally be a good spotlight for LGBT and et cetera, it's it's okay you know um mm-hmm. I, I like to segue to where you're going with damon um 10 years later you know uh, we thought maybe the same thing about something like crash but i know we're not talking about crash we're talking about brokeback mountain you know um so i mean time will tell but i think moonlight's got enough um juice to it where um oh gosh it's the juice about that movie um where it, it can last, it can last in a decade. La La Land will be your classic. La La Land will be on your every Oscar montage for a thousand years. But Moonlight, Moonlight will hang around. One point five million dollars, guys. One point five million dollar indie movie just won Best Picture, and I don't think that can be understated. So I, I feel like it has awesome. to be mentioned. That is incredible. So regardless of personal feelings of that picture and its worth, the fact that the recognition has occurred for a film that was made for that low of money. Um, and that uh, diverse of a cast and diverse of a topic is is truly incredible. And so for that, I do understand 
and I think that this works out probably the best long term to be honest, uh, for satisfying the most people. Uh, so discussion real quick, um, to wrap this thing up, I just want to ask you guys, Matt Damon made a quote a few years ago. I'm going to read this and I just want to get your thoughts. He said about the Oscars, they should give them out 10 years later, like the way that we do the hall of fame in baseball. They do it in five years, but if you did it 10 years later, he said, if this is the year 2010, we were voting on what was the best picture of year 2000. I think it would be much more honest. It's like when you pick up great old movies and you go, why the hell didn't Brando win the Oscar for this? Who won that year? And you have to go look it up. Whatever the sizzle was about that year, 50 years later, you're looking at a movie and going, this is a historic cinematic performance. What do you guys think about that? Uh, um, Meryl Streep would still be nominated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I maybe, um, but to to that point, if if that is how you know theoretically you did it, then then you're you're losing uh, things like Moonlight and the relevance of Moonlight and the and the timeliness of a, of a movie like Moonlight. Um, so so you lose that type of thing. Um, I, I was I was kind of kicking around maybe more like an electoral college kind of thing where, you know, it, it's unfair that uh, that the actors have are making it up, you know, five thousand votes and the and the, the visual effects guys have two hundred votes or whatever. You know, maybe maybe you 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 have one or two points that comes out of each different guild and you tally all that type of thing up. I, I don't know. Um, it, it, it's ultimately it's just a popularity contest and, and half of these awards anyway. Um, it's an interesting concept. I, to, to, to my point, I, you would lose out on the re- relevance and timeliness of certain movies by, by waiting that long. It would, it would weed out maybe the uh, extremely louds and incredibly closes of the world or, or weed out the crashes of the world if, if you did that type of thing. Um, but, but I think you would also you would also lose the relevance of a lot of really good timely films that, that, that the message needs to be out there now, not 10 years from now. Don. Um, I agree. Um, it's, you need, you need, uh, well, one attention spans. I mean, you, you will lose too many older, too many topical and current films and you lose a lot of the little stuff. If you don't kind of stand up and say, Hey, right here, right now, these are keepers. Um, but at the same time, um, I think, and you kind of alluded to this, Steve. I think the greater fix isn't waiting; it's it's redefining how these how the voting the the votership and the method to this a little bit. Where, um, you know, when when Damon says the way they do it in Hall of Fame baseball, um, I don't think that works either. We've seen how many just you know crooked old school guys that just keep lingering around in terms of voters. I think I think some elect electorate reform or voter reform will go a long way further than just time. Um, I, I think this can kind of circle all the way back to the idea of um, remembering La La Land. I, I, think, I think people who find favorites and find films they love, they're going to remember them whether they win 10 Oscars or no Oscars. You know, So I don't think that part's going to matter too much. And um, yeah, I, I, I see – I think if you want to make some lists, fine. I hand out awards a decade later, nah. I, I think – I think Steve's spot on. I think you lose topical current and what matters now because that's, that's the year. That's the reflection point. 
What about just allowing the the allowing the people that are in the certain guilds to vote for their guilds? Um, why 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 does uh, the the acting branch have to vote for visual effects? Why do the visual effects guys have to vote for animated film or, or foreign language film? Because they already well, have a guild awards. That that is that. Yeah. Well, I I agree. Uh, we're in consensus. I I think the same thing. I mean, it's a fascinating topic to to think about, but ultimately, after the elation or the the kind of hype idea of it is like, hey, that would be great. Uh, and I think about it, I, I I land where you guys do. I think that making lists ten years later is a brilliant idea. It's something that I want to do, and I want to be very intentional about is making a, a new. I think I'm actually going to do it maybe every five years, but going back and looking and revisiting my top list, top 20 from that year and seeing, you know, what's changed. What have I seen in that time? And what have, what have I watched multiple times that has really stood out and changed my opinion on it? But yeah, I don't think we can wait. Um, I think the relevancy is important. And I think that ultimately when we're talking awards, just like the hall of fame in baseball, just like everything else, this is things that are voted on by human beings and you cannot satisfy all human beings. You never will. So, Oh, well, you know, it's fun for us to talk about. It gives us critics something to, to chew on and discuss and, and have a podcast about. But ultimately, this is w- OK. Um, you know, keep working toward making diversity in your, uh, in your in your votership, I think is what you're getting at, Steve. You know, you're making your votership a little better, ra- well-rounded and, and maybe younger um, as well. But ultimately, it's not that bad. Last last thing before we cut out. Anybody have any 2017 films that are on their radar you want to mention now that we might be talking about come the Oscars in 2018? I'm kind of hitting you with this on the spot. So if you don't have one, that's fine. But just is there anything you guys have been thinking about that you are excited to see if it shows up? Uh, I'll let you feel that, Donna. I haven't, to be honest with you, I haven't looked that far ahead yet outside of just the stuff that's coming up in the next month or two. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I'm that guy on my website. It's a kind of an annual tradition. The day after the Oscars, I make a kind of tentative crystal ball list for next year's Oscar because next year starts already today. And um, if there's a couple that stand out, um, one of these days, Christopher Nolan is due and maybe a grand historical epic like Dunkirk could be the one to get him on that stage one more time to, as a nominee and maybe as a winner. I know everything Steven Spielberg touches gets noticed. He's the Meryl Streep of directors lately where the kidnapping of Edgardo Montaro, which doesn't have a date yet in 2017, but it's coming before ready player one. Um, you, you just, you have to look at Spielberg. He always gets nominated. Um, I think if there's a La La Land on steroids where it's old Hollywood and big and grand that can show up, um, they're doing a biopic of P.T. Barnum called The Greatest Showman, where Hugh Jackman's going to be your star there. And it's a, it's a big movie musical coming out Christmas Day. I think that's a big hitter there. Um, I think Blade Runner 2049 as a genre film has a big chance. I think uh, George Clooney back in the director's chair in Suburbicon has a good chance. Um, you have Joaquin Phoenix playing Jesus this year in the follow-up from – Lion director Garth Davis in Mary Magdalene with Rooney Mara, where that's the kind of thing that moves Oscar needles, those kind of big-time performances. So um, Alexander Payne's got another movie this year. He's a two-time Oscar winner with Downsizing. Um, so there's there's some stuff out there that's 
is going to make a crystal ball. I know a year ago I thought if you would have asked me a year ago what's going to win everything, I would have told you it's the team up between Tom Hanks and Clint Eastwood with Sully where that's the kind of double pedigree where I thought that's that's the kind of film that's going to sweep everything. Two years ago I thought the same thing of Bridges Spies and then both never really ended up resonating. Yeah, those those are those are great choices. Um mine I don't I, don't, I haven't thought too hard on this specifically the ones that that initially come to mind and these are probably more from the heart hopeful picks I would say than necessarily what I think will end up being there but I would love to see these films play out this way um, I think I may even get some of these titles wrong uh, A Ghost Story I believe is what it's called uh, another Rooney Mara um, Casey Affleck I think uh, they're teaming back up uh, for another another film uh, that they did uh, Ain't Them Body Saints together I really enjoyed that um, Annihilation is the one I've really got my eye on. This is the next film by Alex Garland, who did Ex Machina. It's another sci-fi. It's got a fantastic cast with Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Tessa Thompson, and again, Oscar Isaac. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Dunkirk, Blade Runner 2049, both also would be on my list. Uh, And yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm very excited to see what can happen. I, I, I'm actually also curious if Beauty and the Beast can be good enough to warrant a Best Picture nod. Um, I think that if Disney is going to have... I think at some point Disney's live-action remakes are going to get to that point, this could be the one that, that hits that spot. So I, I hope see. so. Well, I don't know about Best Picture nod, but I, I hope it's really good. Uh, that That's one of that's my favorite of the, of the Disney animated films. It, it has some personal relevance to me. Um, yeah, and I, and I like what I see so far, so I'm, I'm hopeful for Beauty and the Beast. Sweet. Those are good choices there. Yeah, I mean, Beauty and the Beast, if anything, is going to kill and sweep a whole bunch of artistic and technical awards. I mean, those are the kinds of things that those movies will, will throw down for sure. Um, Costumes. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's going to get there. If i got to name drop one more, I'll name drop one more. Uh, Catherine Bigelow from The Hurt Locker in there Zero Dark Thirty. She's got a film, uh, not yet titled, called... Uh, the untitled Detroit project right now. And it's about the 1967 uh, Detroit riots with John Krasinski, uh, John Boyega, Anthony Mackie, where anything she does, and especially in this day and age where we're really trying to show off women directors. I think that's a place where that if she, if she makes a good enough film, that's going to make noise for sure. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, it's, it's been, thanks for having us. This was a, this was a blast. Oh yeah. It's been so much fun. I love it. I love this kind of episodes where we just get to go conversational and, and talk back and forth about a uh, recap of, of what has taken place in film or what we liked in the year. These are always a lot of fun. So um, Don, I'm going to let you go first, plug yourself, tell people where they can find you. If they want to continue the conversation and talk to you about anything and anything film related, um, you know, give us your social media links, et cetera. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, first and foremost, right here on Feeling Film, I'll have the uh, what, what We Learned This Week column, uh, likely very much about the Oscars before Friday. And um, other than that, um, I'm still everymoviehaslesson.com. Um, I, I kind of cross-pollinate and, uh, and publish on uh, Creators Media, so Creators CO and a little bit of Medium in there as well, where they kind of take blogs and put us up there that way. Um there's uh that's kind of what i'm up to right now um i'm trying to think what's on my docket and slate with the press credentials um 
uh, Beauty and the Beast actually in a week or two, so that's going to be pretty fun. I got the invite for that uh, on uh, Crazy IMAX 3D, so we'll see how that turns out. But um, yeah, um, my links are um, Every Movie Has a Lesson on, you can search that on Facebook. Uh, my Twitter is at Casablanca Don, D O N. Uh, that's my Twitter handle there. And um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Steve, what about you? Yeah, uh, outside of Feel and Film, which which I promise I will uh, I will uh, be a little more timely with for you here going forward. Um, you can find me on uh, popcornconfessional.com. That's my uh, my personal blog, um, and there's a Facebook uh, facebook.com backslash popcornconfessional. Uh, Twitter is uh, at Wooster BBB. So it's W O O S T E R B B B. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much. Other than that, you can just find me standing on a street corner in Maine waiting for a, a relevant film to show up. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you want to carry on uh, the conversation with me, you can find me all over the interwebs at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. cetera. Uh, you can follow the show at Feel and Film. Uh, feel and film on Facebook. There's a page, and then there's also a discussion group where lots of great conversations are happening every single day. So you're welcome to join that. It's a free thing, and uh, anybody can come be a part of that. There are links to that on our website and also in the show notes. Next week, uh, we will be doing a mini sode on Get Out that I am extremely excited about. And then we will be doing our Logan episode for our main episode next uh, next Sunday, next Monday. Um, and that one's going to be a crossover episode with some friends of ours from the Retro Rewind podcast. Last thing I just want to mention is we've been stuck at the same number of iTunes reviews for quite a while now. We we did a huge boost uh, in the beginning of the show, and it's kind of stalled out. So I'm just going to make a quick plug and ask for anybody who's got access to a computer and has some couple good words to say about us preferably if you could plop onto itunes and leave us a review we would really appreciate it it would help elevate the show in those search engines and get us noticed and hopefully bring more people into the fold who can join in the discussion uh, about the movies that we love with us that is all we've got for this one hope you've enjoyed this oscar and feelers choice recap episode and until next week stay positive and keep feeling film